A miracle is a supernatural intervention of God to solve a problem, change a circumstance, or situation. This message is the fourth in the series, Miracles in Your House. The message is entitled, Experiencing the Supernatural. Here is Pastor Dalo Shields. Psalm 127, verse number one, the Bible says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor or build in vain. One of the things that God wants to do in your life is he wants to build your house. God cares about your house. As we've talked about, this word house in the Bible is a very important word. You will find this word in the English language translated in the English over 900 times in your Bible. Think about that. In the 66 books of the Bible, the word house occurs over 900 times. Incredible to think about. The word house in the Bible is used to refer to a variety of different things. It first of all is your life. Your life is a house. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so who you are, your house is important. Yourself, your house is your family, the most intimate relationships of your life. Your house is the work that God has called you to do, your profession, your occupation. You're building something with your life in that regard. And then, of course, your house is the work that you render for God, your service to God. And all of those blend together. You can't separate them out. They all work in harmony and unity with one another if they're working the way God designed them to work. And so what God wants to do is he wants to build your house. Now you have to work with him. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. So you have to do some laboring, but God also wants to work together with you to help you build that house that will be the house that will stand uh, through whatever comes your way in life. And we've been looking at some of the things that are important for the building of your house. And I want to talk, as I said this weekend, about experiencing God's supernatural power in your house. I'm going to share two things with us this weekend that will help us to be aware of the supernatural power of God and how it applies to your house. Number one, a statement of fact, a statement of reality, a statement that I want you to grasp and hold on to, and that is this, miracles can happen in your house. See, often we think about miracles happening in somebody else's house, so the really spiritual people, maybe they can have some miracles, but maybe not in my house, but I want to tell you this weekend that miracles can happen in your house. Turn to your neighbor and tell them miracles can happen in your house. Tell them miracles can happen in your house. You cannot study the Bible from Genesis to Revelation without realizing that our God is a miracle-working God. He works miracles. The Bible contains scores of stories of miracles of how God worked. We know some of the famous stories of how God parted the Red Sea so the children of Israel could go across on dry ground and then drowned all the Egyptians in the water after that. We know the story of Joshua and the children of Israel marching around the walls of Jericho and the walls come down. We can go story after story. David slaying Goliath. All these are stories of God's miracle working power. But we must stop for a moment and ask the question, what is a miracle? If God can do miracles, what is, what is a miracle? And a miracle is simply this. You may want to write this down somewhere on your notes because it's important to understand what a miracle is and what it's not. A miracle is the supernatural intervention of God. It's God stepping in to solve a problem. I'll give you several things. To solve a problem, to change a circumstance or a situation, to bring a breakthrough to bring deliverance, healing, restoration, redemption, and resurrection. 
It's God stepping into all those environments and doing what only He can do, doing what God does when it's humanly impossible for us to do something. That's important to grasp because you and I come to the limits of ourselves. There's only so much that we can do. And in life, we ought to do what we can do. But there are times that you have a problem that you can't fix. There are times that you're facing a a circumstance or a situation that you can't change. There are times in your life when you need a breakthrough that you can't create on your own. You need a breakthrough of God's power. There are times when you need a healing that only God can bring, a deliverance that only God can work. You need a restoration that only God can bring about, a redemption that only God can do. You need a resurrection that only God can accomplish. There are times that we need God to do what is humanly impossible, and that is called a miracle. And the good news is that God truly does do and continues to do miracles in people's lives. And there are times that all of us need miracles. And when you study the Bible, it's interesting to see that one of the most common places for miracles to happen in the Bible is they happen oftentimes in people's houses. Just go back and do a study of all the miracles of the Bible. You'll see that many of, if not most of, the miracles that happen in the Bible will have happened in somebody's house. It can happen in your house. I want to give you just a a few examples of these. So I can literally give you dozens of these. I'm only going to give you several of them uh, this weekend. Starting in Matthew chapter 8, let's look at a miracle that happened in Peter's house. Notice chapter 8 of Matthew beginning in verse number 14. When Jesus came into Peter's, what's the next word there? So where is Jesus? He's in somebody's house, all right? So he's coming to Peter's house. When he came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. Verse 16 says, when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him. He's still, by the way, in the house. And he drove out the spirits with the word and healed all the sick. This is Jesus in the city of Capernaum up in Galilee. He goes after being in the synagogue, goes over to Peter's house, discovers that Peter's mother-in-law is sick, and Jesus cares about sick people in our houses okay he cared about this lady and so he brought healing in the house and then he stayed there in that house and there was this stirring that occurred in that little village called Capernaum and people came that evening to they were demon possessed and people who were sick and afflicted and they found Jesus in the house and they found healing for their lives Jesus changed lives in a house notice Luke chapter 8 beginning in verse 41 we're still in the same little village North in, in Galilee, it's called Capernaum. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house. So where does, what does he want from Jesus? Jesus, come to my house. Because, why? Because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. She was sick. She was severely ill. She's about to die as the story unfolds. Actually, it goes from bad to worse because she actually dies before Jesus makes it to the house. But what Jairus says is, I need you, Jesus, in my house. I've come to the end of what I can do. And now, Jesus, I need someone like you, a miracle-working Savior. I need you in my house, in my house. My daughter is sick. She's about to die. Notice verses 51 and then verses 54 and 55. The story continues. When he arrived at the house of Jairus. So again, I want you to note that word. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. 
her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. So there in the house was the miracle of a little girl who was 12, who was originally sick but had died by the time that Jesus arrived. And there he speaks to her in such a way that resurrection power comes. So there's a miracle in the house. There was a miracle in Peter's house. There's a miracle in Jairus' house. Now let's go to... Acts chapter 9, let's go to a, little, a city called Joppa, which is uh, south of uh, modern-day Tel Aviv. And so here's the story. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was, was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Now, let's just, just stay with me for a moment. Where would the upstairs room have been? In her house. Okay, she's not in church. She's at her house, okay? So again, we think only miracles can happen at church. No, miracles don't always just happen at church. They can happen in your house. So here she is. She's dead. And notice what happens. Now, this is the story of Peter, one of the disciples now, having been filled with the Holy Spirit, having the power of Jesus working in him. Peter went with him. And when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. Peter sent them out, all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees. And what did he do? He prayed. So where is he praying? He's praying in the house, turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. Where did this miracle happen? It happened in somebody's house. The Lord showed up in somebody's house in each of these instances, and a miracle transpired. And I will tell you again, I want you to grasp this. The Lord wants to show up at your house and show you his miracle working power. He wants to work in your house, not just at church. He wants to work in your house. The second point I want to talk to you about this weekend is that we can't make miracles, but we can miss them. If Jesus wants to do miracles in your house, then of course, a miracle is something only God can do. Amen? You agree with that, right? We talked about the definition of miracle a few moments ago. And so a miracle is not something you can do. It's only what God can do. When you come to the end of yourself, then God says, now I can do this for you. And you can't make miracles happen, nor can I. We have no ability, no power to do that. But we can miss a miracle. Because although we don't have the power to produce a miracle, if we're not careful, we will not prepare the way for miracles to happen in our lives. Because you have to prepare the way for miracles to transpire. Every miracle that happens in Scripture, there was something that prepared the way for the miracle to happen. There was something either that God did in that person's life to get them ready for the miracle or something that they did in their life to prepare themselves for the miracle. I could take you to story after story. Uh, of people that just did certain things that prepared them for miracles. So if, if, if Jesus wants to do miracles in your house, how many want to make sure you don't miss them, right? Okay. And so to not miss them, we have to do our part and do what's necessary. So I'm going to share with you, this is going to be a fairly short message this weekend, all right? So we're not going to stay here long, but we're going to pray at the end. And I believe that starting tonight, God's going to start some miracles in your house, okay? I'm going to give you three things. This will be very, fairly brief, and then we're going to pray together. If you want to prepare the way for God to do miracles in your house, there are three things that you've got to do, okay? And I'm going to use a little acrostic with the word ask, A-S-K, all right? The first one is actually using the word itself. If you want a miracle, you have to ask God for it. 
That's called prayer. God responds to people who pray. And this, this is part of what you and I have to develop as, as a, a dimension of our spiritual life, as we have to learn how to press into God in prayer. Because many of the miracles are not just going to happen with a, now I, lay, now I lay me down to sleep kind of prayer, okay? Or the kind of prayers that are, that are passionless. No, the kind of prayers that produce miracles in your life is that we, you've got to be desperate for God to work. You get to a place to say, God, I desperately need you because I have come to the end of myself and I have a situation that I can't handle. I have a problem that is too big for me. I have a a situation where I can't break through myself. God, I need you. I'm inviting you into this situation. And what I want to encourage you to do is that when you are facing something that is bigger than you, not just even the big things, even in the small things, to make God your first court of appeals in every problem and challenge that you have. That instead of God being your second or third choice, well, I've done everything now, I guess we'll pray. That's how a lot of people think. Well, I guess we've done everything we can, now, now I guess we'll pray. No, what you ought to do, what we should all do is instead of doing all we can, what we can do first is we can pray. Don't make God second or third or fourth. Make prayer first. Take every need to God in prayer because that really reveals your sense of dependency upon God. Let me ask you some questions. What is the first thing you do when your kids are sick? Where's the Tylenol? I believe in Tylenol, by the way. I believe that medicine's a wonderful thing. I believe that doctors are a wonderful thing. I believe it's a great, that's, I think that, that, that the medical profession, are, that those folks that are in the medical profession are gifts from God to us. Amen, aren't you glad for that, okay? I thank God for doctors and nurses and everyone that serves in that capacity. But let me tell you, God is the greatest physician, okay? And so, you know, what I do is I pray and take Tylenol, right? I do both of those things. But my question is, what do you do first? What's the first court of appeal? Is your first court of appeal human or is it divine? And so when the kids get sick, your first thing should be, God, now we may need to take them to the doctor. We may need to get them some medication. We may need to engage that process. But Lord, as we're engaging that process, we also are going to ask you to come in your healing grace and power and to do something right here in our house. What's the first thing you do when a problem arises? When a problem arises in your life, is your first court of appeals your own mind trying to figure out how you're going to solve this problem? Or is your first court of appeals God? God, I need wisdom from you to bring resolution to this problem. When there's a challenge that comes your way, what is your first court of appeal? Is it God or is it trying to somehow figure out how you'll get around or navigate the challenge? All I want to say to you in this regard is make God your first court of appeal. Go to God first doesn't mean you don't do other things, but it does mean that you go to God and make Him that first point of appeal in your life. So the first thing to prepare the way for miracles, what must you do? You must ask God for it. You have to pray and pray in a sense of desperation that you want God to work. The second thing, the S stands for stand. Stand in and with faith. If you'll notice in the scriptures, many times when Jesus would do a miracle... He would, he would comment 
on the person's faith. Have you noticed that as you've studied the Bible? Oftentimes he would say, I've never seen faith like this before. Or according to your faith, be it unto you. And so there's statements like this that Jesus would often make. In fact, you remember the story of the, of the lady who had been bleeding for 12 years and found her way through the crowd and reached out and touched the edge of Jesus' garment. And Jesus brought attention to her and brought her back to wholeness. It was her faith that caused her to reach out to Jesus. She believed, if I'll just touch the edge of his garment, I will be made whole. And so faith is a key part of, of, of going to God and receiving miracles. It doesn't mean you have to have great faith, but it means you need to use the faith that you do have. And everybody here, you already have some faith. You have a seed of faith in you right now. You would not be in this room if you did not already have some kind of faith at work in your heart. You say, well, I don't have a lot of great faith. You don't have to have great faith. The Bible says all you need is faith like, like a little mustard seed, okay? You've got to have a little bit of something to get things going. And so this whole idea of faith is this. Faith says, I believe that God loves me, that God cares about me, that God is able to help me in this situation. So I'm going to go to God. I'm going to feed my faith. I'm going to turn this situation from something that is negative, that I'm just expecting the worst to happen, that I'm going to trust God for him to do something great here in this situation. I'm going to exercise my faith. And the way that you exercise faith, I'll give you some points that are on your notes there. You'll See, why don't you read them together with me at all of our campuses? Just read them. Number one, you have to know what? God's promises. See, faith is always based on a promise. You can't have faith without a promise. And so that's how it works. That when God gives a promise, then you say, I believe it. That's faith. That's the second phrase. There, believe God's promise. So you know the promise and you believe the promise. Great illustration of this is just the simple illustration of salvation. How do you receive salvation in your life? You receive salvation by believing the promise of God by faith. That's what you do. When you hear the, the scripture that says, For God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's a promise, right? The promise of salvation. And salvation becomes mine when I believe it. And then the third thing, I claim it, okay? I say now it's not just something that is out there sort of mystically out beyond me, but now it becomes mine in my life. So I know the promise, I believe the promise, and I claim the promise. I've often used this illustration. I think it's always valuable to use it. It's like a gift that is being offered to someone. That God's promises are the promise of the gift to you. And the gift cannot be received unless you actually believe that it's for you and you actually reach out and claim it and take it yourself. This is how the promise of God, promises of God works. And that's why you need to be familiar with all of God's promises. As you're reading through the Bible, you begin to familiarize yourself with the promises of God. Then once you've claimed the promise, what do you do? rest. So you know, you believe, you claim, and then what do you do again? You rest. You rest in the promise of God. You know what? I don't go to bed at night worried about what, what's going to happen to me if I die. I don't spend my, my nights worrying about whether I'm going to heaven or not. You know why? Because I've already claimed the promise of God that says in John 3.16 that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I believe it. I've claimed it. I can go to bed at night and live my every day not worried about what's going to happen to me when I die because I'm at rest about that. You know why? Because I'm walking in the promise. See, anytime you walk in the promise of God, the promise will give rest to you. It gives you the sense of assurance in your life, and then you need to wait on the promise. Not every promise is fulfilled according to your timetable, okay? God has his own calendar, amen? Okay? And this is important to remember because a lot of people give up too quick. Well, I believe that, and it didn't work in my life. Well, just hang on, okay? 
just hang on. Don't give up so quickly. Hold on. Hold on to the promise. In fact, many times in my own life, I've seen that some promises of God in a situation will happen very quickly, that God will give you a promise that you hold on to, and you'll see an answer come very quickly. And sometimes you'll wait and wait and wait and wait, and you're saying, God, hurry up. And God's saying, you just chill out, okay? And it's like, hurry up, God. No, 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 I'm, I've got something. I'm doing something here. And so you wait on it, but God always fulfills his promise. Amen? He always fulfills his promise. So if you're going to experience and prepare the way for miracles, you've got to ask God for them. Okay? You've got to then, what's the next one? Stand. Stand in faith. Stand with faith. Notice Matthew 7, 11. I never noticed that was a 7, 11 in the Bible, right? So, <laughs> if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your, heaven, your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who do what? Who ask Him. So this brings these first two points together. Notice James 4, verse 2, the latter part of verse 2. You do not have because you do not ask God. So we ask and we stand in faith. And then the K stands for keep an atmosphere of worship, gratitude, and praise. Keep an atmosphere. Circle that word also, atmosphere. Keep an atmosphere. What is an atmosphere? An atmosphere is a surrounding environment, okay? That's all it is. An atmosphere is the environment that surrounds something. And all of us live in the context of an atmosphere attitudinally and from our attitudes and our actions. So whatever your attitudes are and whatever your actions are, create the atmosphere of your life, okay? And there's certain atmospheres that are attractive, and there's certain atmospheres that are unattractive. There's certain atmospheres that attract the presence of God, and there's certain atmospheres that repel the presence of God. For example, the Bible says in James chapter 4, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So if you have an atmosphere in your life of pride, what's going on? What's happening in your relationship with God? Help me out here. What happens? God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It's a great example of two different atmospheres created in life. A prideful atmosphere, you're setting yourself up for repelling God, okay? Actually repelling him. But a humble humble atmosphere with your life is actually attracting God. He gives grace to the humble. So I want you to see that in your house, you are creating an atmosphere. There's an atmosphere in your home. There's a spiritual atmosphere there. It's almost like you can take a, 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 thermo, a thermometer and somehow, if you will, bring it into your house and you can get a sort of a spiritual reading on the atmosphere of your home. What is the atmosphere here? Is it attractive to the presence of God or is it repelling to the presence of God? If all you ever do in your house is argue and complain and create division and strife, do you think God's attracted to a place like that? No, God is attracted to unity, okay? So again, you're creating an atmosphere in your home, an atmosphere that will either repel the presence of God, I'm not saying that God will leave you, but it's not attractive to God's presence, or you can create an atmosphere that draws Him in to work. So if Jesus is going to do miracles in your house, you want to create an atmosphere that welcomes Him there, right? And I will tell you the the best dimensions of an atmosphere, best actions and attitudes that will attract The presence of God are the words that are on your notes there. Worship, gratitude, and praise. Say those with me. Worship, gratitude.
gratitude, and praise. Those are the three things that are vital, adding, added to your faith, that if you will create an atmosphere in your home of worship, an atmosphere of gratitude, and an atmosphere of praise, what you're doing is you're setting an environment that attracts the presence of God. What is an atmosphere of worship? Worship, we often think of worship as what we come to church to do, that we sing songs, we express our worship to God, we give to God. Those are all dimensions of worship, and those are very true aspects of worship. But the bottom line of worship is where your heart is in relationship to God. That's, that's what you have to understand. Worship, what you do in worship needs to flow out of who you are in worship, right? What's going on in your heart is what God cares about more than anything else. Man looks on the outward appearance, but where does God look? On your heart. You know that you can come to church and you can clap and you can sing. You can even give money in the offering. You can do all those things and your heart still not be right with God. You can do all that stuff, okay? Because you're like ticking off the religious boxes. And I did this, I did this, I did this. And so God must be happy with me. No, nothing wrong with those things. But, at the, but what God is looking for is what's going on here. Is there real worship in your heart? That is, when you sing, are you singing to me or are you just singing? Are you giving because of what I've done in your life? Or are you just going through a religious ritual? And so God cares about your heart. So worship is about where you are in your relationship with God. And so what we do in our lives, we need to continually be reflective about where am I in my relationship with God? Is he still number one in my life? Or have I put something else or someone else in front of him? Because God says, don't worship any idol, okay? Don't let there be anything before me. And so our worship is all about where our heart is in relationship to God. Gratitude is important because gratitude gets you away from grumbling, right? The opposite of gratitude is grumbling. And so grumbling is a negative spirit. It's a negative atmosphere. It's always looking at what you don't have or what you, you feel like you're never going to have or experience as opposed to what God can do in your life. And so gratitude is expressed through thanksgiving. And one of the greatest things you can learn to do in life is to be a thankful person. Amen? Because when you're a thankful person, you're actually attracting God's presence. And then the word praise is actually beyond just the gratitude. Is, it is exalting God for who he is. That's what it is. Praise is all about knowing and thinking about who God is and praising him, honoring him for who he is. Who is God? God is love, right? So praise says, God, I want to thank you because I know that you are love, that my, my adoration and my honor goes to you because I know that you are a loving God and that you love me. God is the God of power. So God, I praise you and worship you because you're the God of power. Nothing is too hard for you. There is nothing that is impossible with you. And God, I thank you that you are Jehovah Jireh. You're the God of provision, that anything that I will ever need in life, you can make available to me. And God, I thank you that you are Jehovah Rapha. You're the Lord who is the healer. So I worship you as this healing God, the one who cares about even our physical needs and our broken places in life. And God, I thank you that you're Jehovah Shammah, the God who is present with me. And Lord, I worship you because you never leave me and you will never forsake me. And God, I thank you that you are, we could go on and on about who God is. Let me tell you, you start speaking out those kind of things to God and suddenly your faith rises up on the inside, right? There's something that begins to be churned up in you and it creates an atmosphere that says, okay, I'm connecting with God and God is connecting with me. So if we go into your house what do, and we kind of bring the spiritual thermometer into your house and we take a reading 
of the spiritual atmosphere, what would the atmosphere of your house be by reason of the way your attitudes are and, the, and how they're expressed and the actions of your life? When you understand that Jesus wants to do miracles in your house, and when you realize you can't make a miracle, but you can miss a miracle, right? There are a lot of people, because they, because they don't do those three things, they don't ask God, they don't stand in the promises of God, and they don't keep an atmosphere of, of, of worship and gratitude and praise. They miss the very thing that God wants to do in them. And what I want, want and pray for all of us as a church family, and I'm praying for each one of you this weekend, I believe that there are amazing, incredible miracles waiting to happen at your house. Okay? I'm, I'm just, I'm, are you hearing that this weekend? Okay. Not just a church. God wants to do a work right here in our house called the house of worship that we gather in. But when you go back to whatever that little address is where you live, as you walk into that apartment or that condo or walk into that townhouse or walk into that home that you live in, I want you to realize this is a place for God. And so I'm asking God to do a miracle or do miracles here in this house. And when the needs arise, my first court of appeal will always be God. I may need to do other things as well, but God will be the first one I'll talk to about my problems and about my needs. And I'm going to get a hold of the promises of God. I'm going to learn them. I'm going to know them. I'm going to believe them. I'm going to claim them. I'm going to rest in them. I'm going to be assured that even if I have to wait on them, God's going to bring about. He never promises something that he doesn't do. He always does what he says he's going to do. And then I'm going to keep an atmosphere going in my house as I'm holding on to the promise of God. I'm going to keep an atmosphere of worship. I'm going to make sure my heart is right with God, that he's always number one. I'm going to make sure I keep gratitude flowing in this house. I'm going to chase the grumbling out in Jesus' name. And I'm going to have an attitude of worship and praise. I'm going to remember who God is and tell him how great he is and verbalize that to him in declaration in song and in word and walk through my house and, and create an atmosphere of praise. I, if you do that, you're preparing your house for miracles. Because Jesus cares about your house. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray all across our campuses this weekend. How many of you have... And even though I'll not be able to see all of the different hands will go up at the different campuses, how many of you have something in your house right now that pertains to your house, okay? Your life, your family, your work, or your service to God in some way that you have something that is too big for you that you, can't, that you need a miracle from God to help you. Raise your hand all across all of our campuses. If your hand's not up, you, we need to have a little conversation because everybody's hands ought to be up. Okay, this is 100% right here. There ought to be stuff in your life that you need God to work in right now, okay? Now put your hand down. I'm going to ask you a next question. How many of you believe that Jesus can do a miracle in that area of your life? Do you believe that, okay? Do you really believe that, okay? What I want to charge you, we're going to pray in just a moment as we talked about. We're going to ask God to do these things. I want to encourage you to go back home this weekend and ask God to give you some promises, okay? And then you get into your Bible, and I will tell you something. If you'll ask God to give you some promises, the Holy Spirit will help you to discover some promises of God that will apply to your life. There's some great resources. Simple thing, just go and do a search of the promises of God. You'll find a lot of resources online for the promises of God. But, but we're not talking about the promises of men, okay? You need the promises of God, amen, okay? Don't just go and read somebody's sermon, okay? You need to read the Bible, okay? 
because man might promise you something that they'll, they can't deliver, okay? But God never promises things that he will not deliver. And so you get a promise that you hold on to and you grab hold of in your life. You begin to take it and say, this is going to be mine. And here's my next question. Are you ready for this one? How many of you are willing to do some work in changing the atmosphere in your house? Okay, raise your hand, okay? You're going to make sure your worship is where it needs to be with God. He's going to be number one. You're going to make sure that, that you're creating an attitude of gratitude in your house. You're going to stop the grumbling about everything. You're going to start giving God thanksgiving. You're going to create that praise to God. If you'll do that, you're preparing the way for Jesus to work in your house. Let's bow our heads together. I'm going to invite you to pray with me all across all of our campuses this weekend. If you've, if you've got that need in your life, in your house, why don't you just raise your hand right where you are. Just maybe you want to raise both hands, at least one hand to God. This is your way of saying, God, I'm, I'm stepping out tonight, this weekend with you. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you care about our houses, Lord, that you're concerned about what goes on in the house. And Lord, right across these campuses and each of the various places of worship tonight we've gathered, I pray in Jesus' name, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that, Lord, there would come a faith in each of our hearts, that we would believe and understand and have confidence, Lord, that you want to work in our house, not just somebody else's house. You want to work in our house. And I pray that you will help us to have the confidence, the assurance, Lord, by faith, to know that there are promises that you have for us. And I pray that you'll help us to discover those promises in Jesus' name, that you'll help us to find that promise that will be unique for us, that we can grab hold of and hold on to and lay claim to in our lives and rest in, Lord, and wait for, because you always fulfill the promises that you make. And I pray, Lord, you'll help us to create the atmosphere, that, Lord, in our homes, that there would be an atmosphere of worship in our homes there would be an attitude of gratitude toward you in our homes that we would focus in upon praising you for who you are and magnifying you instead of magnifying our problems. So, Lord, we ask that, Lord, beginning this weekend, that we would start to see incredible miracles happening in our houses. And we ask you for it, and we thank you for it. Now, just begin to thank God for this. We thank you, Lord for what you're going to do. We thank you for the breakthroughs you're going to bring. We thank you for the solutions that will come. We thank you for the, for, the, for the healings that will happen. We thank you, Lord, for the deliverances that will transpire. We thank you for all that you will do in our houses. And Lord, we will be sure to give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise for all that you do. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that'll make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus.
and then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me, and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that'll help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.